Holy God, we thank you for this time this morning that we are able to spend in your word uh, on this Sunday after Easter and hear this story about Jesus' revelation of his resurrected self to the apostles um, and about the one who was not present and had trouble believing at face value. Lord, might we be encouraged this morning through this story, as we face questions and, and doubts in our own faith, Lord, and, and uh, through our time this morning, would you just lead us um, to a place in our faith where we feel that, that we can wrestle through these questions that will lead us into a deeper relationship with the living Christ. And so I just ask that this morning in Jesus' name and all God's people said... Amen. Well, our uh, story for this morning is a, a classic, Doubting Thomas, uh, the, the same Thomas who showed great faith in other gospel accounts, uh, has gone down in history as a doubter and a skeptic because of his words to the apostles upon receiving news of Jesus' appearance to them in the upper room. He said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Essentially, I'll believe it when I see it. Now, as 21st century Americans, we're quite familiar with this phrase. Uh, After all, we place high value on data and facts uh, unless something can be observed, measured, analyzed, and replicated, it's probably not worth our attention. Unless someone can show us the facts, whatever they have to say probably isn't worth our consideration. So we say, I'll believe it when I see it. Now, as a married man, I am also quite familiar with this phrase, as I hear it quite often from my lovely wife. Uh, you see, I have this bad habit of leaving my clothes at the foot of the bed uh, when I change into my pajamas at night. Uh, or sometimes I come home from the gym and I'm in a hurry to get in the shower, so I'll leave my gym clothes on the floor uh, conveniently next to the clothes hamper. Um, and it drives my wife absolutely insane that I do this. Uh, one day I had left my pile at the foot of the bed uh, to... Uh, get particularly large. Um, So Jessica kindly texted me a picture of my pile to remind me that the the foot of the bed is not in fact the laundry hamper and that the actual hamper is is conveniently located a few steps away from my mound of clothing at the foot of the bed. And of course I I texted back and apologized uh, telling her that I would clean up my pile when I got home and do you know how she responded? I'll believe it when I see it. I'll believe it when I see it. Now, when it comes to matters of faith, doubt and skepticism uh, are usually seen as a bad thing. Um, There is a a sense of of guilt attached to having questions or struggles in our faith. Um, And and we look at, at Thomas as an example of who not to be. Uh, But I'm going to suggest something crazy this morning, uh, that there is actually a bright side to doubt, that doubt can be a tool that God uses to draw us 
into deeper relationship with himself and bring us to a more mature place in our life of faith. In his work, uh, The Dark Night of the Soul, 15th century theologian St. John of the Cross suggests that we should not look at doubt as a problem, but rather as an opportunity for spiritual growth. And what we find in the story of, of Thomas this morning is that having a strong faith doesn't mean always having less questions, but rather a willingness to wrestle with our questions and our doubts in faith. So we're going to look at what it looks like to do that this morning. Um, and, and to do that, we're going to look at our story, uh, which begins with a, a group of fearful apostles gathered in the upper room shortly after Jesus' resurrection from the dead. So I invite you to uh, get out your Bibles if you haven't already um, and open them to uh, John chapter 20. And uh, you also have Bibles in your pew in front of you. If you do not have a Bible, uh, that is our gift to you this morning. Uh, so let's open our Bibles up to, to John chapter 20. Uh, and we will walk through this story together this morning. Uh, begins verses 19 through 23. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If, anyone, uh, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, news of Jesus' resurrection from the dead was apparently not enough to embolden these fearful apostles since they had locked themselves away in an upper room for fear of Jewish authorities. But here Jesus appears to them and commissions them to receive the Spirit, giving them the authority to preach the gospel of God's forgiveness of sins in which they would possess the power to declare forgiveness or unforgiveness based on a person's response to that message of the gospel. So the apostles have this, this amazing encounter with the risen Christ, but there was one problem. The apostle Thomas wasn't there with them. So he gets back from wherever he was, and the rest of the apostles are all excited, telling him that they had just seen the Lord, and of course he responds, in essence, I'll believe it when I see it. After all, didn't he have the right to make such a statement? I mean, the other apostles had gotten to see the nail prints in Jesus' hands for themselves. Why couldn't he? If you think about it, Thomas was no more of a doubter than the other apostles. The rest of them had seen the risen Christ for themselves, and he was the only one who hadn't. Now, it's possible that had it been another apostle who wasn't present, they would have had the same reaction. And then we read in verses 26 through 29. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them this time. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. 
stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. His doubt was turned into worship. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This statement of Jesus's at the end of our story was not just directed at Thomas, but the, the rest of the apostles had seen and believed, and now so had Thomas. But the days were quickly coming where people would be called to believe without seeing, based on the testimony that the apostles would give. People would believe not by seeing, but by hearing the gospel. And Jesus was declaring his blessing upon those people who would believe by hearing, which also happens to be you and me. If you're here this morning because you place your faith in Jesus, he calls you blessed because you have believed without seeing. But you know as well as I do that oftentimes it can be really difficult to believe without seeing. Like Thomas, we, we sometimes desire that God would just reveal himself to us in a way that re- would remove all of our doubts and all of our questions. I can remember feeling like this uh, during the time I spent in seminary, uh, which one of my classmates uh, jokingly called cemetery uh, because it's often where faith goes to die. Uh, three years of cemetery, uh, cemetery, <laughs> see? Three years of seminary uh, is required uh, in order to be ordained as a pastor in the United Methodist Church. Uh, And almost every fellow pastor I have talked to has described it as a time of testing in their faith. Um, And and this is because you go to seminary uh, with what you believe to be a strong faith in God, and then people much, much smarter than you um, proceed to take that faith apart piece by piece, inspecting and overanalyzing each piece, and then they hand it back to you in pieces and say, good luck putting this back together. Now, for me, this experience was one of the most trying times I've had in my faith. I mean, I can remember feeling distant from God, feeling like my prayers uh, were just bouncing off the ceiling, uh, feeling like everything I once thought I knew about God had now been called into question and that my faith was shaken to its core. And what I learned through that time is that it's okay to have questions and to have doubts. But where you seek answers to those questions matters greatly. Where you seek answers to those questions matter greatly. Because you see, in those times of doubt, if you turn to the wrong place, doubt can become a destructive force and it can absolutely decimate your faith in God. But if you keep your focus in the right place, doubts and questions can actually propel you into a deeper relationship with God because questions force you to ask yourself why you believe what you believe. No longer are you taking things just on blind faith, but you're having to actually think through, why is it that I believe this? So what is the right place to keep our focus in the face of doubt? In the Methodist tradition, uh, we rely on four main sources 
the founder of the Methodist movement, John Wesley, used these four sources uh, to work through his questions. Uh, and we have come to know these as the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Uh, so there's your $10 Methodist term for the day. You're welcome, I guess. I don't know. Um, but, uh, but this is really great, all right? Um, so uh, don't touch your note cards yet. Everybody's got a note card in their bulletin. If you want to use part of that note card to write this down, you can, but those are actually going to be used for something else. Um, but these are the four, the four things that we consult um, when we have questions in our faith or in our life. Um, and you'll notice that uh, each of them is given different weight. So first and foremost, our primary source as Christians, if you're going to believe what the Bible says is true, believe that it is a reliable source of faith, and it, and it contains all that is necessary unto salvation, this is your primary source. This is the first place you turn with questions about faith, life, God, what have you. And that's a leaf of faith in itself, is to say this, this book is true, I believe what it has to say, um, and, uh, and that always has to weigh the heaviest in any question that we're asking. Um, the next is, is the tradition of the church. So this is what have other Christians throughout the years said about whatever question it is that, that I'm asking right now. Um, so th this essentially uh, relies on the witness and, and the discernment of many people throughout the ages who have wrestled with a lot of the same questions that you're probably wrestling with. Um, and when they're all saying the same thing, you probably know they're, they're all sharing that unity in the Spirit and consulting the same book, which is, of course, Scripture. Um, and then the next thing that, that God gives us is reason, or the ability to put this all together in our brains. Um, so that, that is your ability to uh, think critically, um, to, to, to reason through things, to ask those why questions. You know, why do I believe what I believe? Um, and then finally, all of this is confirmed by experience. Um, or where, where have I experienced this in my own life? How do I know by my life experience that what is revealed here in God's Word is true? And so when you start to put all four of those things together, you're able to, to get more of a complete picture of uh, some of the things that God tries to reveal to us through His Word. Um, and so when you have questions and, and you use these four sources to try to seek answers, God can, can lead you to a more mature place in your faith uh, through these sources. And you can see why to be a problem if you got any of these out of order. You know, say you put experience in the place of Scripture. Well, if I'm turning to my experience first over God's Word, and I'm reading my experience into God's Word, then I'm essentially just reading what I want to hear from Scripture, instead of letting Scripture tell me what to think first, and then confirming it by my experience. So, so the, the, the order and the weight that you give these is really, really important. Um, but those are our four sources um, as, as Methodists uh, that we consult when we have questions in our faith. But the question has to be asked is, is what's, what's a point um, in this kind of seeking? If you're seeking answers to, to questions in your faith, or if you're wrestling with, with doubts in your faith, what should you hope to gain? 
by using those sources to answer those questions. And again, we can look at the example of Thomas. When Thomas witnessed the risen Christ, he didn't bombard Jesus with probably the million questions he had. All he did was worship. My Lord and my God. And in Thomas's response to Jesus, we see the end goal to this holy wrestling in faith, which is also found in verses 30 to 31 of our passage this morning. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. That by believing, you might have life in his name. You see, questions can lead us to a deeper relationship with God. Now, they can also be destructive if we don't keep the end goal in sight. But the end goal is that by seeking and believing, we might have life in Jesus' name. That means our goal in in seeking understanding in our faith should not be to to somehow figure God out. No human being who has ever walked the face of this earth has ever arrived at a point where they say, Aha! I finally understand everything there is to know about God. God is is mighty and holy and awesome and mysterious. And if he could be fully understood, then he wouldn't be worthy of our worship. Amen? And that's why the goal of seeking answers to our tough questions should not be full understanding, but rather simply a relationship with the living Christ, whose nail-scarred hands are able to hold all of our doubts and questions. And here we arrive at at those mysterious note cards that have been hanging out in your bulletin this morning. I would like to give you all the opportunity to ask your tough questions so that we can wrestle through them together in faith and in community. So just as as Thomas' faith was strengthened by these means, we can sharpen and strengthen one another when we wrestle through our tough questions together. Uh, that said, I, I want you to, to take these note cards and write down any question about faith or life that you might be wrestling with um, and give them to me either today after worship or next Sunday uh, when you come back. Uh, and if I get enough questions, I'm going to take all of those questions um, and do an entire sermon series on them, uh, dedicating each week to a different question. Uh, or if you want to discuss a question individually, you can simply put your contact information on the card uh, and we can have a one-on-one conversation. Uh, and this is actually how I've been uh, running the, the Loft High School group uh, here at the church since I've been here. Um, and uh, the kids know that, that no question is off limits and each week God blesses us um, as we wrestle through questions in faith. And we use that same, those same four sources. We go straight to the Bible and we say, first, what does the Bible have to say about this? Then what does our church tradition teach us about this? Then how do we put this all together in our minds and how is it confirmed by our own life experience? And we talk through that every week. We're using that process. We're using that process. Um, so if you're here this morning um, and you have doubts or questions in your faith, My word to you is this, don't quit asking, don't quit seeking, and don't quit knocking. 
Remember Jesus' words in Matthew 7, 8. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. See, the bright side of Thomas's doubt was that his seeking ended in a first-hand experience with the risen Christ. And God is willing to more deeply reveal himself to us as well if we keep seeking in faith. I can tell you the, the way God has led me through my season of difficulty in my faith wasn't by bringing me to a place where I felt like I had it all figured out. But rather, the little I, I did come to more deeply understand through that season of seeking led me to a deeper place of worship, wonder, and relationship with God. Particularly when I would turn to God in worship and prayer, despite my, my questions and my struggles, God would reveal His presence to me in ways that were undeniable. And I would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that despite all my questions and, and waffling and wavering, God never changed. God never changed. He remained steadfast in love, continuing to reach out to me in grace, even when I grew weak and weary in my faith. I remember one night in, in particular, uh, I was leading worship at a prayer gathering, and I had one of those moments where God just absolutely smacked me upside the head with his presence. Anybody ever have one of those moments where God just like smacks you upside the head with his presence, so you don't even see it coming? Um, I, was, I was leading a song called uh, Cornerstone on the piano, um, and when I got to the second verse, uh, God just revealed himself to me in a way that was so tangible um, and so real that I had to stop singing to regain my composure. And uh, the verse I was singing goes like this. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on His unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love through the storm. He is Lord, Lord of all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that when our faith falls short and that when we wrestle with tough life situations and, and doubts and struggles in our faith, Lord, we thank you that you do not change. And so, Lord, I just pray that, that this morning, if, if there's anybody here wrestling with those tough questions or, or wrestling with doubt, Lord, that you would just strengthen them in your spirit. Lord, to just create in them a heart of faith that does not quit seeking, that does not quit asking, that does not quit knocking. Not until they have it all figured out, but Lord, just until you simply reveal yourself to them in a way that confirms that even though their faith may fail, you have never changed. And so, Lord, I just pray that that would be each of our aim, that, Lord, through our seeking, that, that we would just come 
closer to the heart of Christ. That we would just come into deeper relationship with you and just be struck with awe and wonder at your majesty and your goodness and your faithfulness. So Lord, I just thank you for the message of Easter, for the message of the, of the resurrection, and for this story of Thomas who though we might think was weak in his faith, actually showed us what it looks like to continue to seek until you reveal yourself to us. And so we just thank you for his witness. And Lord, I pray the same for each of us this morning, that you would just grant us the strength to continue seeking, that we might have a revelation of your presence in our lives. And so I just pray this in the strong name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.